0: Good morning. It's uh, it's good to see you this morning. My name is Steve Cunningham. I get the privilege to be the, the lead pastor here at Wellhouse. So I don't know if we're doing, are we online today? Did we get the Wi-Fi going? We're good. All right. So we were having some problems over the last couple of weeks since the storms uh, with Wi-Fi here, but it looks like we're up and going. Uh, glad to do that. I'm going to go ahead and invite up uh, the shepherds, uh to come on up, and then I'm also going to invite up the Blairs, so if you guys want to come on up too while you're making your way up uh this is what happens when you put me in charge of announcements last week, I forgot to uh to mention our new partners not that not that I don't want that any reflection that uh that they aren't significant we're super excited. Uh, And you may have seen them over the last couple of weeks. We got to do a Wellhouse 101 about a month ago. And uh, so these folks are uh, joining us uh, as Wellhouse partners, and we're super grateful for that. So if you haven't had a chance to meet them, uh, we would love for you to be able to do that. Uh, Also, we want to let you know that we're going to be having another Wellhouse 101 coming up here in just uh, about two months. And so if you're interested in learning more about Wellhouse, want to partner with us, we would love to, to help you do that. Um. Wonderful. So we uh we have invited up our shepherds. Some of uh, some of you may not know who all they are, and we're actually missing Brad and Kathy Watts this morning. They're out of town. Uh, wanted to be here today with us. Uh, but we, uh, we have the privilege this morning of, of adding to the group uh, Clay and Tara Blair, and uh, they've been with Wellhouse uh, since, the, since the very beginning, really. Uh, and if you know Clay and Tara very well at all, uh, you just know that they have a heart for people. They're some of the most, honestly, kindest, uh, most gentle-hearted people uh, that I've ever come to know. And so I'm really grateful that you guys uh, said yes when there's this opportunity to serve this body of people. And so we want to take a moment to just pray over you all uh, as you enter into this season of, of helping shepherd uh, the flock here at Wellhouse. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we are just so thankful for you and your wisdom. And uh, we're thankful for the Bible that gives us courage and strength and and knowledge about who you are and what you want for us. And some of that comes along with understanding the role and, and meaning of a shepherd, that there are people that are gifted and skilled on knowing how to enter into the lives of other people, encourage them and inspire them and walk alongside of them and pray for them in this life. and So we're just thankful for Clay and Tara, and we we ask that you would, as uh, they become shepherds here at Wellhouse, that you would encourage them and give them strength and endurance in this role. God, that you would make it um, just a passion of theirs as they join the other shepherds we have here. We are so blessed to have people who are so loving and caring and discerning in this role. We thank you for the way that they take care of us in so many different ways through phone calls and cards and texts and coffees. And we just, we pray for them that you will protect them against the attack of Satan and that you will give them energy and renewal every day for their task ahead. God, we thank you for them. May we be a blessing to them as they bless us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. We appreciate you. David. Be gingerly. Be, if if you if you go up to give them a pat on the back be be careful with Clay he actually just had surgery so he's recovering so don't don't grab him too hard by the arm or shoulder you'll you'll watch him cry so we're so thankful let me give you that And we're so thankful for all of our leadership here all of our shepherds and those on our lead team and our staff Chris we're uh, glad that you are back with us uh, we missed you uh, we're glad that you got to bless so many other people uh, throughout the country uh, on, on that a cappella tour. So we are finishing up today uh, uh, the book of Colossians. We've been at that for the last four weeks now. And so if you have your Bible, you can go on ahead and open up to Colossians chapter 4. If you're scrolling on your phone on the Bible app, you can actually go to the events page, click on Wellhouse, and all the sermon notes and all those kinds of things are already there for you. So we're trying to make it easy for you. We, um, we began this sermon series talking about this idea of, of the question, uh, who is Jesus really? Who is Jesus really? Uh, and I don't know about you. I grew up in church. I was the first uh, first person in my whole family line, either My mother's side or my father's side to grow up in church. Um, My parents had just started attending a church right about the time I was born, just a little bit before. Uh, And so sometimes I think uh, when you grow up in church, uh, you can kind of be handed down Faith, and sometimes that doesn't become real until later on. And so sometimes Jesus is—it's a good guy. It's a lot of stories. I know it's a—you know—it's something on a flannel board, right? Because uh, that's how sometimes we learn those stories. But but answering the question, who is Jesus really, begins to decide some things for you, and that's where the, uh, the Apostle Paul begins to speak from to this group in Colossae, a group of Christians, and that's, that's where we get this letter, um, Colossians, from. And so for Paul, Paul has answered the question, who is Jesus really? He's answered it by saying he's Lord and Savior. He's, he's sufficient and he's supreme. I don't need anything else but him. And as he writes, he reminds us who we are in him. I don't know about you, but I have found myself to be pretty capable of making some pretty bad decisions, right? I was there for all my biggest regrets in life. I was the common denominator behind all of them, and the same is true for you. Your biggest regrets in life, some of them, they were, they were yours, right? You'd love to blame it off on other people, but when you really squarely look at it in the mirror, you recognize that you had some hand in all of that as well. And so it's important for us to not miss this this thing from Paul, that, that Jesus truly is supreme, he's over all, he's above all, and he's sufficient. We don't need anything else but him. And when we have those two things locked in, well, then it changes the course of who we are. We recognize that we aren't all of the bad decisions and bad regrets that we make in our life, but our identity comes through him. And as Paul concludes his letter to this group of Christians in Colossae, he does so strongly reminding them about their identity in Christ and how it changes them. We're going to find that out more at the end, but if you have your Bible open up to Colossians. We're going to start in verse 2. This is what it says. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Stop right there. Uh, if, if there's one thing that I've learned over the course of about 23 years of ministry work is that most people, if you ask them what is the spiritual discipline that you feel like you need to grow in more, I, I would say probably somewhere around 80% would say, I need to grow my prayer life. Now, I don't know about you, maybe your prayer life is great, but I will confess to you, even as a pastor, that there's areas of my prayer life that still need to grow. I still find myself sometimes at night, you know, getting ready for bed, and, and I'm like, all right, I need to be praying for these specific things, and I start off my prayer, you know, dear God, thank you so much for everything you've blessed us with, our family with, and God, there's some things that, I'm tired. God, I'm tired. Why am I so tired this week? You know what? I'm going to finish this tomorrow, you know? And, and, and that's how it happens, right? That's how my prayers sometimes go, and maybe you can relate. All of a sudden, you kind of hit that wall, and it's like, my, my prayer life is uneasy. And Paul, as he begins to conclude his message, he writes, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And you think to yourself, okay, what does it mean to be devoted to prayer? How would we define that? Like, am I supposed to? How many of you remember the, the verse that says, pray continually? And you're thinking to yourself, I don't, I'm not even sure how to do that, right? I mean, I would love to. That seems like a really spiritual thing to do, but I'm not sure how exactly to do that. I really, uh, Paul is talking about a way of life that I think we're oftentimes unfamiliar with. I love a quote Uh, from Mother Teresa. Yes, I'm quoting Mother Teresa. I think she has something good to say here. She says, Prayer is not asking. A lot of times that's what we do when we pray, right? Help this person, help that person. She says, Prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God. And this is what Paul is talking about when he says, Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Thankful. He says, in all things, and whatever you do in all of life, how about you live it devoted to putting yourself into the hands of God, whatever comes your way? Because he is supreme and sufficient. And this is how he begins. Verse three. And pray for us too. Now, pause right there, don't read any further. Don't forget, where is Paul at when he's writing this letter? Shout it out. He's in prison. That's right. You've been listening over the last couple weeks, or at least you've read it on your own. He's in prison. So if he says, concluding his letter, pray for us too that we may, if we were going to fill in the blank, we may say something like this, pray for us too that we may get out of prison. Or pray for us, too, that we, may be, uh, that we may have all the persecution stopped against us. Because those sound like prayers that I'm familiar with. Are you familiar with those kind of prayers? It's like, all right, God, we, it's time to make this life a little bit easier. It's time to make this, this life a little smoother transition for me. It, it's time for the hard stuff to be over, and now the easy stuff begins. But that's not what Paul says for them to pray for. Listen to what he says. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul doesn't say, all right, listen, if if you're going to be praying about anything, pray I get released Or he doesn't say, listen, if you're going to pray about anything, pray for my life because, listen, I have been persecuted and I'm going to wind up being killed if I'm not careful. He doesn't say pray for those things. He says, listen, would you pray that another door be open so I can share the message of Christ with somebody else? See, this is how I know Paul and I pray a little bit different, (laughs) Because oftentimes what I find is that the predicament that I'm in changes the way that I see the world around me. Better, maybe better stated is that if you're not intentional, your position, the area in which you find yourself currently will dictate your purpose. If you're not careful, if you're not intentional, your position will dictate your purpose. And we find this all the time, right? We find this all the time. Listen, there's nothing bad about having a family. Having a family is wonderful. Having a wife or a husband is wonderful. Having children, those are great things. Grandchildren, great things. But sometimes when we're put in a position, that's that's all we see and our lives revolve around that. And listen, it's great to have those things. But if that is, is what our life truly revolves around... And we will lose the purpose by which God has put us here on this planet. That's huge. For some of us, our position, our, our work life, or our financial decisions, our purpose gets changed by the position that we're in. Some of us, it's, it's emotional or it's physical. All of a sudden, we start to go through things, and our purpose changes. And Paul has to remind us that, listen, you have a purpose in life no matter what you're going through. It shouldn't change just because your position has changed. Your purpose has not. And Paul reminds us of that as he begins to remind them what to pray for. But he's not done. In verse 4, he says this, Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And he turns it to them. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. These are people that don't identify as a Christ follower. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. I don't know about you, but I've been on the wrong side of a Christian before, or somebody who claimed to be a Christian. I remember a few years ago, I was working up at a church in Flint, Michigan. And if you know anything about Flint, uh, then you probably heard things like, don't drink the water. <laughs> we had a bad, really bad problem with lead and all the, the pipes. We have a poverty, they had poverty problem. Flint was known as the murder capital of the world. There were all kinds of things that were going on that would make Flint a not desirable place to live. And a few years ago, a group of um, so-called Christians decided that they were going to come up and and share with everybody the reason why Flint was suffering so bad. So they came with their signs on why God hates certain demographics of people and the sins. And they came to picket and protest. You've seen it before, haven't you? See, folks, that's not Christianity. That's hate. Paul reminds us what it looks like to be Christians in this world. We're going to find things that we disagree with. In fact, we're going to find things in this world uh, that that God disagrees with. In fact, if we're real honest about ourselves, we're going to find stuff inside of us that God disagrees with. But Paul reminds us as we look towards others who are outside to be full of grace, seasoned with salt you know there's a difference between being right and being wise some of you have figured that out the hard way right if if you are a guy and your spouse ever says does this outfit make me look fat I urge you to figure out the difference between being right and being wise, okay? You figure out what wisdom is, because sometimes there's an opportunity to be right, but it is not wise. I remember before there was a uh, a meeting that I was in, I was on a school board for a private school, and... and uh, we had been there a long time if you're ever if you ever get the opportunity to sit on a a school board don't do it uh, it's just school board is like greek for long meetings that go nowhere um yeah exact some of you have done this before uh so we're there, and the meeting has gone like three and a half hours, but we've accomplished literally nothing. And tensions are high, and there's a whole lot of problems we're facing. Right, and at the end, you can, if you were, if you were even remotely aware at all, you could have looked around the room and realized everybody's both tense and done. Right, not a good time to start a new conversation about an old wound. Nevertheless. <laughs> We had somebody who at the very last moment as we were getting ready to wrap up, you know, people were grabbing their stuff get ready for the door. This person blurted out something that they were right, but it was such an unwise thing to do. Was such an unwise thing to do. It opened up wounds that night that didn't need to be opened up. It caused rifts that night that didn't need to happen. And it didn't get us anywhere. See, there's a difference between being right and being wise. And this is what this is what Paul calls us to. There's going to be times in your life where you say, "No, no, no. Listen, I need to err on the side of right and I might urge you and Paul might urge you" How about better yet to urge on the side of being wise? See, in in our world today, there is so much information. We we are on every side given all kinds of information. It's amazing. At at the touch of a screen, you can have all kinds of opinions about various things. But I I want to tell you this. Information is not wisdom. Knowing what to do with that information, now that's wisdom. Wisdom. And Paul says, when you interact with outsiders, make sure that you're not just acting right, but that you're being wise in the way that you act with them. Paul concludes this thought, and then he goes into something. Uh, it's a strange way to kind of uh, end his thought. He, he, he says, listen, be wise. And then he concludes his message uh, to the church in Colossae and this is a point that I found that for most people uh, as we're reading through parts of the Bible have you ever done like a read through the Bible in a year six months six months kind of things a couple of you have done that before and you get to the part where it's like you can tell the letters closing out and they start mentioning names that you're like I don't even know I'm just gonna shorten that guy's name to you know abs or whatever because there's the rest of it I can't pronounce Right? And we kind of kind of skip over it and go to the next part. But Paul uh, is going to be closing out this, this letter. And I think if we skip over the last little bit, we're going to miss some real gems. There's some stuff in here that I think may just bless you more than you realize. There's uh, a few names that I'm going to point out. And by the end of it, you might want to read up on some more of them. But verse 7 says this, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant of the Lord. And I'm sending him to you for the express purpose, he has a purpose, that you may know about our circumstances, and that he may encourage your heart. Now, before today, could anybody tell me, could you say anything about Tychicus? If I said, all right, here's a list of names, how many of them ring true? Here's, here's Paul, here's Barnabas, you know, here, here's uh, Peter, Andrew, James, John, here's Tychicus, right? And you'd be like, one of these things is not like the other, right? One of them does not belong and so we don't know a lot about him. Now, he does show up in a couple of other verses as kind of a, a person who goes around with Paul. And it seems like what Tychicus's purpose is is that Paul kind of administers truth and preaches and teaches. And then Tychicus is left to kind of deliver messages. He's, he's a messenger, he's, he's a messenger that has a heart for people. That's Tychicus's role. See Paul put something in his hand and he was faithful with what was in his hand and he delivered it I heard a I heard a stat years ago and I don't I don't know if there's a whole lot of validity to it or not. I've never done a whole lot of research, so don't hold me to this. But I remember somebody saying, you know, paper uh, uh, back in in biblical times was really hard to get to. You it was made out of papyrus, and so it was difficult to be able to to write down and jot notes on. Right? It was only only wealthy people had access to a lot of uh, paper, and so the equivalent of of like a letter you know, like Romans or something would 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 almost cost two or three thousand dollars if you had the money to do it. So that's there's a lot. Not only is there a lot of biblical truth there, but there's a lot of money tied up. And here is here is Tychicus and he has this responsibility to go from Paul in prison to deliver it to this church in Colossae. And then to begin to explain to them what Paul is going through and what's on Paul's heart for them. And here's what I think. I think Tychicus had no idea when he put Paul's letter in his satchel or his back pocket or you know the, 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 his, his rope around his waist, whatever, however he carried that thing, he had no idea that he was carrying around the Bible. He just had no clue. See, he was just being faithful with what he was given at the moment, not knowing that his faithfulness would impact beyond what he could ever imagine. And here's the thing that's true for me, it's true for you, that the impact of your faithfulness may be bigger than what you realize. See, for you, it seems like day in, day out. It seems like I'm just going to work today. I'm just raising my family today. I'm just making it through another day today. I'm trying to be the best friend or the best coworker or the best parent or the best husband or wife that I can be today, but God has put something in your hand and you have no idea the impact of your faithfulness in doing those things, but you also have no idea the impact of what happens when we aren't faithful. See, I wonder what it would look like if if Tychik is halfway through the the process of delivering this thought, man, this stinks. (laughs) I'm tired of Paul kind of just dictating. He gets all the glory. Nobody even knows my name. How about I write my own letter? Or how about Paul delivers it himself? If he's so great, why don't he get out of prison? And he can deliver it himself. Or how about if they really want this letter, have somebody come get it. But I'm sick of running around. See, there's something to our faithfulness that may be bigger than what we realize. So if you are in the middle of daily, monotonous life, know that God calls you to faithfulness even when it doesn't seem fruitful at the time, even when it seems so monotonous, so regular, so routine. Continue one step after the other and being faithful to your God. Second person up, verse 9. He is coming. Tychicus is coming along with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Now, you may not be familiar with Tychicus. You might be familiar with Onesimus. Those of you who are familiar with Onesimus, you remember his name from another letter titled Philemon. And Philemon was a Jew. Uh, And he uh, he had several people that were endeared to him. They were slaves to him. And this particular slave of his, Onesimus, wound up stealing from him and then running away. Now, by law, it was acceptable for Philemon to have Onesimus punished to death. But Paul writes to Philemon, and you can look at this, it's a really short book in the New Testament, and says, listen Philemon, whatever Onesimus is owed to you, which is his life, consider it to me. Because now he is a dear brother in Christ. See, it changes his status. He was once not only a slave, but he was worthy of death. And Paul says, no, 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 listen, all of that has changed. Onesimus has had a life change because he recognized that Jesus was both supreme and sufficient. He didn't get to go by Onesimus' rules any longer. He had to go by Jesus' rules. And I love the way that Paul puts this because they would have, they, it would have been a real struggle for them to say, listen, I'm going to accept this person who really should be, by all accounts, killed. And Paul says, consider him a faithful and dear brother who's just one of you. He's just like you. So accept him. In fact, he's going to tell you a little bit more about the gospel. See, the point that we get from Onesimus is this, that God's purpose for my life far outseeds the regrets of my past. And aren't you glad about that? Man, I I look back at my teenage years, I oftentimes will tell my kids, uh, not as an encouragement to them, but as a warning to them, very clear, man, when I was in high school, oh, Lord Almighty, I mean I feel sometimes I feel the need to go back and and just apologize to my junior high and high school teachers and and say, you know you you could take about a hundred guesses, you're never going to believe what I do for a living now, you know <laughs> they just they wouldn't believe it. And sometimes I've thought about going back and talking to some of them and, and, and I have not done that because I just think uh, there'd be so much explaining to do. <laughs> uh, is they know the old me. And there's an old you. And for some of you, everybody knows the old you and that's hard to get over. And For others of you, only you. Know the old you. And that's hard for you to get over. Paul reminds us through the story and life of Onesimus saying, Listen, he is a faithful and dear brother. He's just one of you that God's purpose for your life far outsides any regrets that you have from the past. If they are in the past, then listen, brothers and sisters, they are in the past. They're in the past, and you don't have to worry about it any longer because Jesus, when you answer the question, who is he? He is supreme and sufficient. You don't have to have it all together in order for God to put the past in the past and give you a new purpose in life. Last of all, and I love this one too, Verse 10, my fellow prisoner, Aristocus sends you his greetings. I love that they're all just in chains together. It's, it's like the oddest group of people, right? They're all in chains together, all locked up in prison, as does Mark. And he's going to let you know exactly the Mark he's talking about. The cousin to Barnabas. You remember Barnabas? He was He was an encourager. He traveled with Paul. You remember this story? He travels around with Paul on their first missionary journey, and he begins to talk to people about who this Christ is. And he talks to not just Jews, but he also talks to Gentiles. And this causes a huge rift. They have to have a council. But before they have a council, they're actually talking with somebody else. Most theologians agree agree that there was somebody who kind of informed them on what was going on. Before Paul and Barnabas got back, there was already an uproar. And that's because of a guy named John Mark or Mark. See, John Mark went with Paul and Barnabas on the journey, but he left. In fact, Paul says that he deserted them. He had some kind of struggle, something that he couldn't go through, and I think a part of that was growing up in an atmosphere. I think most theologians would agree that he grew up in an atmosphere where there was a certain way of doing things, a certain way of being right before God, and he watched Paul and Barnabas together break down some bridges, and he could not handle that. And so he left and left them. So a little while later, as Paul and Barnabas were thinking about going out on their second missionary journey, Barnabas says, hey, I have a cousin, remember John Mark? How about he goes with us this time? And Paul says, no, I don't think so. And Barnabas pleads. And Paul stands his ground. In fact, there's, the, there's this term in, it's in uh, Acts chapter 15. It says that they had such a sharp dispute. the The Greek word there really means it's a severing, it's a cutting off. That they said, now "Listen, we disagree so strongly here that we have to part ways. That we can't do this anymore." That's where things got to with John Mark. But here, Paul says, "I want you to greet all these people, including." Mark, you know the one, Barnabas' cousin. You have received instructions about him. And if he comes to you, welcome him. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, he writes to Timothy and he says, Listen, I want to tell you something about Mark. He's helpful to me. In my ministry. See, I don't know about you, but I think what happened with John Mark, by the way, the Gospel of Mark is what John Mark writes, he leaves his mark on our Christianity. But I think what happens with John Mark on this journey where he winds up backing out is that fear gets the better of him. He looks around and he says, man, I don't understand what's happening. I don't get it. I'm not on board. I can't be on board. And so I'm out. And he counts himself out then, but he doesn't count himself out for good. And some of you, you have, you've counted yourself out for a bit, right? It's like, all right, listen, I am tapping out. I can't do any more. But don't. Count yourself out forever, and don't allow fear in your life to count you out. Because here's the truth: your fear will often tell you to stop, where your faith will urge you to go. I will tell you, uh, a, a, almost two years ago now. Um. Right about two years ago now, we traveled down to Good old Goodlessville, Tennessee, we filled in preaching for just a couple of weeks on vacation. I remember having a a chat with uh, uh uh leanne I don't know if you remember this leanne, and she said, "You know, Steve, we're looking for a pastor, and I said that I'll be praying for you." <laughs> And she said, the weather here is good. And I was like, uh, man, don't you lie. I've been here in the summer. <laughs> don't you lie. It's hot. And through the course of time, Veronica and I would say, you know, listen, is God calling us to something that that where maybe Maybe our fear would say, no, I mean, we, we have friends here in our, in, in, at home. We have a home. We have, uh, we have security. We have all these things here. Why would we step outside of that? But God is bigger than our fear. And think about all the things that you may miss out on because you allow fear to be bigger than your God. See, your fear will tell you to stop where your faith urges you to go. And I remember having this talk with Veronica saying, all right, what are we going to do? Because you feel it and I feel it, but man, there's some things that we're just afraid of. And we wrestled it to the point that we knew that if God was calling us to do something, then he would be more faithful than anything. And so we would go. And it's been a huge blessing for us to get to know you and work alongside with you and minister with you and serve our community with you and give with you and love on you and have you love on us back. Man, this has been a huge blessing. And I can't imagine my life differently than that. I want you to know that. That had I not stepped out in faith, even though there were fears along the way. I can't imagine how different my life would look. And so, don't allow your fear to be bigger than your God. You see, your God is enough. He is supreme, and He is sufficient. Check out other names, as Paul writes. There's more stories that will encourage you But may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you and transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to our only God, the Savior, who is unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless and merciful, who is supreme and sufficient, who is before all things and through all things and in all things both now and forever. Amen.